Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, Huddle.Care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of, and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening, and let's get the show started. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you would like to practice these anxiety, OCD, and mood disorder coping strategies within a COVID-safe and HIPAA-compliant online therapy group led by a licensed psychotherapist, please go to the Huddle.Care website to set up your initial consultation. Huddle.Care is a group therapy program that meets by video conferencing and offers education, treatment, and support provided by licensed psychotherapists. Huddle.Care brings together the quality care offered by highly trained licensed psychotherapists with the benefits of social support, including resilience, self-compassion, and collective hope. These mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy groups include exposure and response prevention. Please go to the Huddle.Care website to receive more information and to set up your initial consultation today. Hi, it's Dr. Maggie Perry with Tell Me What You're Proud Of. Uh, today, I have on the show Larissa, and we'll be talking about preparing for the anxious moment. So Larissa, thanks so much for joining. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So why don't we just jump right into the topic? Are there moments that in your daily life or your, your weekly life that you notice that you get anxious? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I feel like I'm learning to recognize my anxiety a, a lot better. And so I I think I'm dealing with it more effectively, but it doesn't, I still get really anxious. And uh, dealing with COVID has probably been um, one of the biggest things of my anxiety. But I know that um, I recognize now that I had a lot of anxiety way prior to um, COVID, you know, the pandemic. But that, um, because I think we, we were so, you know, everything stopped, all the things that I did day to day, like a lot of activities, volunteering and out and about, going to the gym, everything abruptly stopped. And, and I was kind of amazed at the amount of anxiety I felt, partly because of COVID and I think just because of the whole change in my schedule, you know, and yeah, that completely makes sense. So actually, give us a little bit of a sense of who you are. So, Well, who you are in and from the perspective of anxiety. So when you say that there was anxiety prior to COVID, uh, prior to the pandemic, uh, what kind of anxieties would you experience? Well, I would experience, I think a lot of health-related things, you know, worry about my health or my husband's health. And uh, my husband has had some um pretty serious health events over the last, um, since 2018. And so, although I think I've dealt with each one of those things and dealt with my own, I I mean, I feel healthy, but uh, the fear, fear of future events, fear of getting 
getting something and what would we do? That I think um, really uh, intensified over when COVID hit. But, um, you know, any event that my husband had, I, I think I dealt with it really well. But um, nevertheless, I think the uncertainty of what, what that could lead to, because, you know, we're both, he's seven, in his 70s, I'm 67. And I, I never, actually, I never really used to worry about that too much, because I really felt like I'd go to the gym, I did a whole lot of things that could keep me healthy. Um, but I think underlying, there was a lot of anxiety and anxiety, too, about, um, well, uh, things that anything that was out of my control, almost, you know, um, if I wasn't sure what people thought of me, that and especially if it was somebody I really cared about, it was um, really very difficult to, you know, um, a lot that caused a lot of intrusive thinking, wondering what are they thinking? Um, you know, do they like me? Uh, if I had any kind of, um, well, like when I was in school, but when I both when I was in school as a nursing student, or when I was teaching at part time at community college, I mean, I, I would over prepare. And I think of all the worst case scenarios that could happen, you know, and so I would it was never enough, you know, um, and, and I was a good student and I, and as far as I, you know, I got, I, I enjoyed teaching, but if it was anything, um, speaking in front of a group, I got a lot more comfortable with it, but it, it, it brought up a lot of anxiety, kind of like, uh, not quite good enough, you know, or, uh, you're going to blow it some way or another, things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm hearing you talk about a, a lot of different types of worry and intrusive thinking kind mm -hmm. of across the spectrum. So would you say that they all, um, it was all about uncertainty, like the feeling of uncertainty or loss of control in whatever area of your life, whether that's health or academics or work, um, social situations, I guess now more health um, stuff. Yeah. It's like the feeling of uncertainty that causes yeah. you a lot of anxiety. The uncertainty of it, yeah, and um, would I uh, do something that would inadvertently hurt me or hurt myself, hurt someone else, you know, um, because I missed out something, like when I did nursing or when I was working with students, would I overlook to teach them something, and then what if they made a, uh, a mistake, and as a result, would I have, I, you know, I was always worried that I'd miss something and it would have a bad effect. Not, so, uh, I wasn't always like that, but that, um, that definitely was present some of the time. Yeah, so the theme was responsibility or over-responsibility. Yeah, yeah. It's re really prominent for you. Um, mm -hmm. And so now as you notice those themes, that anything related to the feeling of uncertainty or the possibility of responsibility is potentially going to be a trigger, what do you do to prepare for when you're going to be anxious? Okay. Um, well, one thing I, I really do is um, I try to recognize some of the signals, like um, if it starts with what if, you know, like what if this happens, what if that, I, I, um, I right away allow my, I mean, I try to kind of step back from my thoughts, say, okay, um, 
this this is really my, I'm recognizing this is my anxiety or this is my OCD, you know, and um, and I try to do uh, practice being mindful, like what am I doing right now? Um, whatever's in the future uh, is going to have to, you know, play itself out in the future. There, there's no way of knowing what will happen down the road and how am I and try to just put it back to what I'm doing right now. And um, like and with COVID, you know, I've, I've gotten to where, um, you know, I look at the science, look at just, if I had a scratchy throat. Oh, gosh, all of a sudden I thought, could it be COVID? Oh, dear, am I a carrier? And, and it would just start all of that. And I'm very grateful for uh, for COVID. <laughs> I'm very grateful for Huddle because um, I didn't recognize that that was my OCD, you know, um, and that my, my anxiety. I was thinking, well, if I'm thinking it, it, there must be some truth in it or I wouldn't be thinking it. And then I'd get like sensitized and have the anxiety and, and it would just start that whole loop. And um and I think another thing that's helping can me I, is. Do you mind if oh, I actually interrupt you there? Can you hold no, the thought no, you're not, having? Not yeah. So I just want to um, mirror back to you what you're saying because you're hitting on a lot of really great points. So one of the things you're saying is getting distant from thoughts. So you've mm -hmm. learned to see a thought as a thought, that a thought is just a thought. It's not a message, threat, or prediction. And that's a really big shift from what you just said that you had the belief before, like if I'm having a thought, there must be something important about it. And I must, uh, I wouldn't be thinking about it if it wasn't truth or it wasn't important. So that shift from, if I have a thought, it must mean something and I must pay attention to it to thoughts or just thoughts. They can intrude kind of against my will. I don't have control over what arrives in my mind and it's okay to get distance from or let thoughts go. Um, that's a huge shift in your relationship with your mind. Um, and then what you were also talking about is after noticing that you're having a thought and it's arriving with sensations, it's arriving with a whoosh, then you can bring yourself back to the present moment. So you don't have to go off into the future or into the past just because of the sensations you're feeling as you're having that thought, but you try to focus on the, on the um, present. So that was just great. Thank you for, um, or I'm happy to hear that you're using those skills. Was there something else you were going to say that you now do? Um, gosh, I can't, I can't remember now. But, Sorry for um, cutting you off. But, oh, no. Um, oh, I know. I, that is, uh, okay, is this a problem? I, I try to figure, is this a problem to solve? Um, and, and, and if it is a problem to solve, is it something that is urgent? Is it, a, is it emergency? Well, if it's not an emergency, I can take a deep breath, give myself time to process it. And, um, and even, and I recognize too, though, that even if I'm still having those anxious feelings or my face gets flushed and hot, it, it still is not a, sig it's a signal, I guess. That, that's what you call it. Learning the learning the language around OCD and anxiety is really helpful to me now. And, um, and also more than learning it is, is then I know how to apply it. And so um, recognizing that even if I'm still feeling the anxiety, it, it doesn't mean that it's true and, and I'm going to get through it. And that's just, um, I, that's just a part of me. And that may, hopefully it may be there at times ongoing for a long time, but I 
I really feel I'm getting a handle on recognizing it and how to deal with it and know yeah. that it may come back, but I'll be able to get through it. Yeah, that's actually just what I wanted to comment on, that there's two types of acceptance that are is important for your anxiety disorder. There's acceptance of an, the anxious thoughts, feelings, and sensations in the present moment, but there's also acceptance of the disorder overall and the the con, the um, realization that anxiety disorders and OCD are chronic intermittent conditions that typically peak and pass throughout people's lives, but definitely come back at, at different times when you're sensitized. And so the thinking there, um, as we've talked about before, is that um, anxiety disorders are con genetic conditions that are also informed by nurture or like in the environment that you grow up in. And so it's mm -hmm. often that having kind of a sticky mind runs in families and is um, like if one of your parents was a worrier, one of your parents had unwanted intrusive thoughts and compulsive behaviors in response, then you not only get kind of that sticky mind from them, but you also kind of learn their behaviors as you're growing up, making it more likely to, for you to have beliefs like if I have a thought, then I better pay attention to it. And mm -hmm. that is going to then be more likely for you to have an anxiety disorder as you grow up. Um, so the, the concept of accepting that you have an anxiety disorder is kind of based in this awareness that it, there is a genetic component to it. And so when your body is under stress or what we call sensitized, you're likely to get a sticky mind again. And mm -hmm. then it, you might have new content or themes, like you might be worried about something different, but the same processes are likely to occur again. So it sounds like you've done a really good job in, in preparing for the anxious moment. You first have to accept that anxiety is a possibility for you and that it might come back. So you have to know your triggers um, because you have to accept that it might come back. So do you want to say anything about that? Has that been part of your journey at all to like accept that you have an anxiety disorder? Yes, um, actually. And, and the OCD part, I, I always... Initially, like uh, when I started thinking, you know, talking more about the OCD and the and having it before huddle, um, mainly with my one sister-in-law, she she was so helpful in that area. But I always I always thought of it as something that it has to be an outward behavior. One of my outward behaviors is that I, if I'm anxious, I jog. I jog in the house. I'll jog around. But other than that, I, I thought, well, I never really understood that 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 intrusive thinking is a big part of it too. It's not just it's not just what the outward uh, behavior is, the internal, and that that has been a huge help. And there was a time when even when I was beginning to think, well, okay, I have OCD, I I always wanted to negate the thought that it could be a genetic component. It was like, oh, well, it was something in my environment or it, it had to be related to trauma or uh, whatever the stress was in my life at the time. But now I realize that it's, you know, it can be that and both. It can be both, you know, and, and that, that's been, that's been really freeing to um, accept that and not see it as a, as a fault or, or like a flaw. Um, and, and actually, I'd say since I've been going to huddle um, and being able to talk about it and that as I understand it and 
hear other people like on the on the um, both on the podcast and in the blog, but hearing uh, the others in the groups talk, you know, and I almost look forward to it because um, it, you know, there's a feeling of like you're not alone and um, hearing other people's um, success or struggles. It, it um, it's really helped. Mm-hmm. A lot. And it's, it sounds like, so has it specifically helped you accept um, your anxiety disorder in addition to making you feel better about it? So yeah, do you want to comment at all more on what, what is it helping you with in terms of your process? Um, it's helping me uh, not, not to be afraid to even, well, when I recognize it's my anxiety, it, I think it's helping me to have more of a voice, like be able to speak what's on my mind, even if I get anxious. Like I think, I think because the anxiety in the past uh, caused me to avoid certain situations, especially if I thought there would be um, that I'd be uncomfortable. I I avoided them altogether. You know, I avoided anything that would be a uncomfortable conversation, if at all possible. You know. And um, just of recent, I think it's been more in the last month or two, I find more and more that, um, that I'm able to speak what's really on my mind. And, and not only am I able to do it, but it's important to do it. It's important for my relationships. Um, it, it helps me gain confidence about myself. And I think it's also helping me to be more compassionate with myself. <laughs> you know, and not so hard on myself that um, I don't have to uh, agree with everything. Um, I don't have to, if somebody doesn't like something, it really is okay. I might not feel good about it, but unless I'm doing something that really is harmful or adverse to my character, um, I don't have to worry if it's, if it's not the same thinking as someone else. Yeah. It absolutely makes sense. And, you know, conflict avoidance is a really great example of a subtle way that um, those that suffer from anxiety often avoid, but don't notice it as part of their anxiety disorder. Um, They might think it's part of their character, personality, or they don't really, they don't even really notice that they're avoiding conflict because they're so used to it. Um, But so everybody with an anxiety disorder avoids, but not everybody avoids behaviorally. And since a lot of people with anxiety disorders have um, a lot of perfectionism too, they'll kind of white knuckle their way through situations. So like you used the example before with work, rather than behaviorally avoiding work, you might over-prepare and get reassurance and the, the way that the avoidance was probably of the feeling of uncertainty. So over preparation, getting reassurance from other people, um, checking and rechecking your work, those, those are all avoidances of the feeling of uncertainty that actually make the feeling of uncertainty more likely. Um, and conflict avoidance is also avoidance of uncertainty, but um, can also be kind of the avoidance of the feeling of anger, if that's relevant, or any other kind of feeling that a potential um, unexpected social experience might trigger. Um, So it's, um, yeah, that's just a really subtle avoidance, but can totally tie into both generalized anxiety and OCD. Um, Do you have thoughts about how there's like many different types of avoidances and they're kind of sneaky and subtle? Um. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they um, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, well, I don't know if this is the answer to your question, but I, I'm trying to look more at, um, like when I do get anxious and I want to like avoid a conversation about um, with my husband or with a family member, um, I'm, I'm starting to, uh, something you said just recently that I'm trying to look at what, what other feelings might be going on inside also. Am I feeling frustrated, angry, uh, maybe kind of scared and alone um, or sad? And I think, um, I think especially sadness and stuff like that have been hard for me to recognize when they're there. You know, the, the anxiety is always the prevalent part. And so you've talked a lot also about um, looking at our core beliefs. And so I'm trying to uh, look at that too, without, without like, uh, you know, going too deep and trying to analyze and figure out, because I know that that's, that's part of my OCD too. I think I try so hard to figure out in the past, you know, why, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Or um, that I would, um, it would replay and replay in my mind. So I, I'm, I'm not trying to do that, but more trying to just look at what, what, what would cause me to feel this way, you know, and not feel comfortable with who I am just as I am, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a great example of when you start to self-observe and self-monitor um, and you're looking for triggers, you can, you're, you at first, maybe you just start to look at anxiety. So you look at like, what was the trigger? What was my anxious thought? What was my anxious sensation? Uh, or what sensations did I have? What feelings did I have? What did I do in response? And, but once you start kind of getting in the habit of doing that, then you can look at what all kinds of different feelings you might be having and just, like you're saying, kind of have the habit of self-awareness so that when you do notice yourself doing something that's not consistent with values or you're thinking that you might do something that's not consistent with your values, you can stop and reflect on it. Is that, is that what you mean? Yes. Yeah, definitely. And, and that, that I think is happening a lot more that I'm just recognizing, okay, oops, here we go again, you know, and just uh, kind of taking a deep breath and, um, and, 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 and it doesn't, um, I mean, depending on the severity and depending on the situation, it doesn't overwhelm me like it used to that I, I guess I'm, I guess I'm getting more comfortable maybe with that, with living up with uncertainty, you know, that I, I, I can't have all the answers. I don't need to have all the answers. And that possibly when I'm doing that, I'm not being in the moment. So I, I really, um, I try, you know, I try to do things that, especially since COVID, I've really tried to, um, but prior to that, do things that will help me to stay in the moment, like meditate, um, especially too, when the, my anxiety is really high, then sometimes I, I'm learning to kind of know the difference of when do I just have to be still and let this pass and even just sit and meditate as hard as it would be, or just be mindful, or maybe is when is it good to, um, 
do a different thing. And so it'll take my mind off of it. Not, not so much to avoid it, but um, uh, not let the anxiety consume me so that I almost feel paralyzed, if, you know, so. Yeah. How do you make that? That's a, that's a great differential. How, how do you think through whether to stay, like stay with an anxious experience or to redirect your attention away from it? Well, if I have that feeling that I want to jog in the house, I know I better just, I better just stay with what I'm doing, you know? Um, but then it, sometimes I will, um, I'm trying to think, sometimes I, I'll feel uneasy. And so I'm doing all these things around the house to kind of distract my attention, but the intrusive thoughts keeps coming back. And that's maybe a time when I say, you know what, rather than trying to keep cleaning or make the kitchen perfect, maybe I need to just uh, go outside and, and work in the garden, you know, because that's something that, um, it, it just puts me back in the moment. And I initially, when at the very beginning of um, the pandemic, when it was, you know, there was just so much uncertainty. There was so many, well, still a lot of information and you don't know what's true, what's not true. Um, being in the garden, working in the garden, getting my hands dirty, um, it just put me in the moment and it took away that urgency. Like I should be out. I got to go run or I've got to, it was a, it was kind of a peaceful way of being active. Yeah, that sounds really great. And just to frame that up for other people too, um, which is exactly what you're describing. The differential is kind of what's harder, but not to be mean to yourself about what's harder. So what you're saying is like, when I have the urge to run in the house, that's when I stay still, you're mm -hmm. doing the opposite. So you're doing the harder thing. When I have the urge to clean the kitchen, I step away from the kitchen. That's also doing the harder thing, either jogging in the house or continuing to clean would both be the compulsive behaviors that are like kind of going with the anxiety and you want to notice the anxiety, uh, allow it to be there, but do the opposite of what would keep it going. Um, so that differential is really great. Some, sometimes that means, you know, don't just sit there, don't just do something, sit there. But yeah. other times that means, you know, get up and go for a walk or go in the garden or something like that. Because if you just stay in it, you're, you're likely to start to dwell in a way that's not helpful. Right. It, I, I'm, I'm laughing a little bit to myself because even today, it's like four o'clock couldn't get here soon enough. It was like, and so I, you know, I would, I did, I prepared and I found like I was getting nervous this morning because this morning we were, um, you know, getting Christmas gifts online for our grandkids and our nieces and nephews and, you know, and I, I kept thinking, oh, I, I should be preparing for the talk. I should be preparing for the talk. This was like 9.30 this morning, you know. And I mean, I had already, I had already kind of, I'd gone over a lot, you know, with um, what you had said to, you know, to the things that helped me to relate effectively, anxious moments, times when I was anxious effectively, and sometimes that I wasn't. But my mind kept going to the future. And then... Um, and then, like, I, uh, my husband played golf, and I thought, oh, gosh, he's going to be gone, and I've got to do this podcast all by myself. 
and I mean, it's, it was silly because he wouldn't be in here anyways, but uh, so what I, I know that sounds crazy, but um, no. uh, what I did, yeah. so I, I, you know, I could laugh at it. And then I, and I, um, at one point I just purposely went on a bike ride because I thought, you know, and I went on the bike ride, like right at around quarter to three, not a long bike ride because I thought, I can't go on a bike ride. I'm, what if, what if something happens to me? And I did get in a bad bike fall earlier this week, swerving to, to get out of the way from another cyclist. And I found myself feeling like I, afraid to get on, back on my bike. And I thought, no, nope, I'm going to do it. And I'll, uh, you know, I, I had a thought, well, what if I, you know, what if I got in an accident when I'm, and then I'd be late for huddle. So I made myself take a bike ride in the neighborhood. And so that I felt like was a good example, was a, was a time when I wasn't riding my bike because I was anxious. It was more that I needed to trust the fact that I could, that I'm prepared enough. I could go take a bike ride and enjoy it. And it doesn't have to be a long bike ride, but just to do it, to do something different. Yeah, well, and my reaction is that I really appreciate your attitude in that your anxiety really jumps around. Like it, it yeah. can really give you a lot of different what ifs about a, a variety of different things throughout any given day. So it seems like you you maintain a really good attitude where you think like, oh, you know, I'm doing a what if again here's my chance. Now let me go do something that would challenge my anxiety. Is that attitude easy for you to maintain? Or like, can you speak to that as we finish up the session here? Um, you know what? I, I think it's getting easier and easier all the time. It really is. And um, I think sometimes I'm also learning that just some things are out of my control. You know, some things are going to play themselves out in time and, um, one thing I was listening to your podcast, your most recent podcast, and um, I think it was with Danielle. Anyways, um, she mentioned about traveling, and um, that that's something I've always that I've wanted to do. Anyways, she talked about, but I have fears around it, and um, but she talked about that one. Uh, don't overestimate your risks and don't underestimate your ability. And I remember when I had heard the first podcast that, um, that I think might've been Reed Wilson. I'm not sure who it was that said that it really hit me because I think that when I, that's easy for me to do. I, Oh, I build it up. I could catastrophize what the risks are. And I think that's why in the past I avoided a lot more but um, I'm learning to not overestimate it and and not um, and to recognize my ability to to um, to handle a situation. And that really helped me so much when I first heard it. So when I heard it yesterday on the um, when she was talking about traveling and everything, it kind of refreshed it in my mind. And, and I, I do think that that's happening. You know, it's kind of up and down, but. It's up and down, but it's, I think it's a continual movement upward, forward in a positive way. Yes, I'm really happy to hear that. And I think in summary, um, I just want to reinforce all the skills that you described in terms of 
preparing, what you do to prepare for the anxious moment, that you um, know what you're willing to self-observe. So you're willing to find what your triggers are. You're looking for your avoidances. When it's happening, you're getting distance from um, the anxious thoughts and surrendering in the present moment to the anxious sensations. And then this belief that you're developing that regardless of what I'm feeling, I can handle it and I'm not gonna overestimate risk and underestimate myself. Rather, I'm gonna underestimate the risk or, or try to see the risk for what it is, try to see the anxious thoughts for what they are and mm -hmm. believe that I can handle it. And I think you're on your way to uh, overcoming anxiety. So I'm looking forward to, to talking more. Thanks for your time. Okay, Maggie. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the episode. If you would like to practice these anxiety, OCD, and mood disorder coping strategies within a COVID-safe and HIPAA-compliant online therapy group led by a licensed psychotherapist, please go to the Huddle.Care website to set up your initial consultation. Huddle.Care is a group therapy program that meets by video conferencing and offers education, treatment, and support provided by licensed psychotherapists. Huddle.Care brings together the quality care offered by highly trained licensed psychotherapists with the benefits of social support, including resilience, self-compassion, and collective hope. These mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy groups include exposure and response prevention. Please go to the Huddle.Care website to receive more information and to set up your initial consultation. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, Please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategies shared here. Thank you.